0: The foundation is rotted. The Democratic and Republican Party are not going to push us into a future where we leverage tech for human good, where we all know about data privacy and all protect our data and all empower young people and work together across diverse boundaries to build a better world. Democratic and Republican Party are not it. Let's be real here. Um, What we need is to come together and, and just build new empowerment arms.
1: Welcome back to the DWD podcast, a podcast focused on
2: ending polarization through conversation. Today we are joined by a fantastic guest, one that we have met previously, and it was quite a fun experience to see an email back from him when we wanted to speak. Tanasi, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: How's it going? Thank you for having me on.
2: Doing really well. Thanks for joining. Before we jump into any of the details of what you've been working on with Civics Unplugged, Can you just give everyone a little bit of an overview to who you are?
0: Sure. Uh, My name is Thanasi Dilos. I'm 17. I'm a co-founder at Civics Unplugged and a National Geographic Young Explorer. My work uh, in the civic and social space centers around uh, uplifting youth-led work and working with institutional fundraising platforms to drive more monetary support towards youth-led projects.
2: Fantastic. Fantastic. So... To get things kick-started with Civics Unplugged, which is doing a bunch of fantastic work, what does a civic revival in the United States look like, since it is so central to your mission?
0: Well, that's what you guys are diving in, right? Yes, sir. Uh, So so I think a lot of people talk about traditional civics as voting and helping people vote. I think that's a very uh, closed version of, of what civics is, and You know, I could talk for hours about how civics isn't taught in schools and how our students aren't civically active or whatever. But I think what a civic revival means is really getting people in the mind frame that they have to support their communities and the people around them in so many different ways, right? There's, it's more than voting. It's, it's, you know, having conversations that are necessary for learning and unlearning in your communities. It's helping your fellow community members, you know, prepare for job interviews or get that degree or, you know, just into better situations than they are right now. And I think what we want to emphasize at Civics Unplugged is the community focus um, in America has kind of been lost. And if we help uplift each other in our communities, I think we can make a lot of real change across the nation.
1: What are the steps to get people more involved in local policy? Last summer, I worked with um, my local legislature, and it seemed like there was more attention uh, on the national sphere as opposed to the local sphere. How do you get Gen Zers to actually care about their community's government?
0: Well, I don't know if it's just the community government, to be honest with you. I think local legislature is important, but I think that there's a lot of young people um, in this country right now who are working on projects that are kind of, tangential to local policy, but not really in the government sphere, right? There's a lot of um, students who are working on uh, projects that educate uh, lower uh, grade levels in their community. There's a lot of people uh, in our program even that work with homelessness in their community. And I think if we can uplift, you know, if we can show um, all all students or all young people that, it's, that being an activist or being influential in politics is not just, you know, going to your legislature and writing a letter or going to a protest, but it's so many different things that you can do to get involved. I think that's how you get the ball rolling. The first step is just showing how easy it is to make a difference and how many different avenues um, that there are to do that.
2: Mm. I think that's an important note, but one that's a little bit difficult because it revolves around some level of education, and I'd love to dive into kind of how you're going about doing that with Civics Unplugged, given the fact, just as you mentioned, we don't get a civics education in the United States, especially for Gen Zers who we're facing. I wouldn't say so we don't,
1: but we get less than than other generations.
2: I would sure. Say. And it's not mandated, but we, we have so many challenges that we're facing at the same time.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you guys probably know, and, and it's, Civics education now, right? A lot of people can say they get their education in the civic space from social media and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And we could talk for hours about the polarization and the misinformation on that platform. But it, what it really boils down to is that um, we just need to create more opportunities for um, engagement in communities instead of just regular historical based civics education, right? It's one thing to tell a bunch of kids, um, hey guys, this is how you register to vote. Uh, great, you pass your civics class, you know about the, the Mount Rushmore and the three branches of government. It's another thing to take a group of students out into their community and work on a cleanup project or work with a homeless shelter or work with a local nonprofit. And these opportunities are not so distant from these teachers, right? And it's not the teachers that don't want to do them, but the school boards are so reluctant to you know, branch out their curriculums, but there are nonprofits everywhere that would love student volunteers to come in for a day and help. There are homeless shelters everywhere that would love student volunteers every day, um, and I think that once you get students involved in that type of work, they really see that the first the first step is is just taking action and and really you know branching out there, and that's I think. A great way to get the ball rolling and and kind of get them in the mindset of making change for for the rest of their lives. Whether
1: it be working for a local food shelter or uh, helping out the homeless, it seems like those sorts of activities or forms of community development spark a sense of pathos, uh, an emotional connection to your community. From your experience or from what you've seen with your organization, how has this level of empathy contributed towards your larger
0: movement? Um, that's such a great question. Um, I think empathy today is something that's lost. I think in this current context of COVID, I think that school boards have lost empathy, forcing kids to work abnormal hours. Uh, jobs have lost empathy. Huge companies have lost empathy. And, uh, at Civics Unplugged, we, we really try to do two things, right? We try to foster a sense of community within our fellowship and the young people in our community which is, is growing at a huge base, and we try to foster a sense of responsibility in repairing American democracy. And the empathy part comes in where we see, you know, debates and when we try to teach how to have conversations and how to, you know, go above the partisanship and actually just talk about the issue and from a systems perspective, right, analyze the issue and figure out a place where you can best put your energy to make a difference Um, and I think we don't have a lot of um, direct lessons on empathy but we do have a lot of conversations about personal development and self-learning which I think is another thing that we lack in schools surprise Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that a lot of students don't know about their superpowers like when were you guys if ever had taught about your superpowers or taught about where you can grow yourselves or how you can grow yourselves right and then when did you sit in a circle with your friends and say, all right, you, you are really good at conversation. Like, how can you help me and how can I help you? Those conversations are not fostered in our education system. And because they're not fostered, students don't have this sense of connection and the sense of empathy for their peers. And that goes on into later life and contributes to this cycle of indifference, which is really harmful.
2: Mm-hmm, definitely. I think there's a big question to be had in the question of, of our education and how we are brought up through education as to what should the role, especially of public schools, be, right? Are they supposed to be in a parenting position where they do things just like that, where they teach you about personal development, teach you about things on reflecting, or is it purely from an academic standpoint of math and science and literature, and this is one that troubles me a lot because regardless of whether or not, uh, people should view it not to be uh, a location of some level of parenting, it is right. So what, what systematic changes in our education system, let's say you could change everything today. What's, what are a few things you would change?
0: That's a, that's really, you know, it's a good question. Um, and, and I, will, I will say, I'll give you my answer, but I also want to, you know, take all these questions in, in a bigger scheme of things, right? So first, I think that in order to create the types of leaders and the types of people we need in the future to kind of make our society some a place where everybody is equal and everybody wants to be happy in, we need to make significant changes in the way that we even structure our schools, right? The the structure of education right now is still the model that we use to train factory workers. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not planning to work in a factory and none of my friends are planning to work um, in a factory anytime soon. And, you know, I think that we need to provide opportunities for students that do want to go into technical jobs. I think we need more opportunities like that. I think we need more experiential learning. Um, And I think we also just need to reimagine education. It's not enough to, you know, iterate upon old ideas, because the base old idea is inherently flawed. We need to have curriculums that can be taught online. COVID showed us that our curriculums in schools and our teachers, no fault to them, were not suited for online learning. And in the 21st century, that shouldn't be the case anywhere. But the question is, how do we get to those reforms, right? And the only way to make significant change in any field in America, in my opinion, And the opinion of most of the people that I work with at Civics Unplugged is by reforming democracy. If more people have the chance to vote, if more people have the chance to have their voice heard, if more people have the chance to run for office, then we can have a more full picture of the American idea of reform in every space. Mm. Right. Environment, education, criminal justice, any field that you want to change, you need to change democracy first. And that's why we are working so hard at Civics Unplugged to create leaders that think about democracy as a space that needs to be fixed before everything else. How do we
1: avoid on-paper democracy? I've heard the argument recently that it's uh, some people may say that voting is still accessible, democracy is still a prevalent thing in the United States. It's just that people aren't using the resources on paper. Sure, it says everybody can vote. But in reality, there's certain restrictions in certain communities which don't allow them to reap all the benefits of being an American citizen. How do we avoid that sort of dissonance between what's on paper and what's happening in reality?
0: I think that that idea of on paper democracy is really great in theory. And I think that a lot of people who are against democracy reform for reasons of staying in power or keeping districts the same would say that there's really no need to reform democracy. All that's needed is to just get people more voter education, right? Like teach more people how to vote. And that's just not true, right? And so I think that the reason that I'm so passionate about the youth-led work that we support at Civics Unplugged is that every locality has a different issue when it comes to voter disenfranchisement right? Some of them purge voter rolls. Some of them are gerrymandered to hell. Some of them, you know, people just don't get their ballots in the mail and don't have a chance to fight for it, right? And so how are we, as at a national level, going to implement sweeping changes? We can't. It's not realistic. What we need to do is invest in local projects and community-based projects that seek to reform the democracy in that area mm-hmm. and build upwards, mm-hmm. right? So, changing the the idea of a non paper democracy and making it so that it's real that everybody can vote is not a national bill being passed. It is not even a state legislature passing a bill is every community analyzing which problem they have um, when in terms of voter disenfranchisement or in terms of democracy being broken and saying, okay, how do we fix it? And there are going to be some communities that are going to give pushback. There are going to be some uh, officials that have been in power since before I was born before you guys were born that are going to give pushback because they don't want to lose their seats and that's politics and we can't ignore that and we can't like not talk about that right we have like some people are against voter reform and democracy reform and those people are pretty much the first obstacle to
2: overcome Mm -hmm. how do you make sure when when working with civics unplugged that you do give love to all the necessary communities because as you're saying this this grassroots approach is one that is necessary it's potent but it's also very difficult just like you're mentioning every unique place has its own nuanced problem so how do you back the people who are truly especially the young people who are trying to make those changes
0: well i think that there are a couple different ways but i think one great way is to just um inspire a lot of young people right um your, your podcast is a great example, right? You guys, you guys have a goal. And the way you go about it is interviewing people who can spread, you know, bits of wisdom, bits of knowledge across your listenership. And we kind of go about that the same way we have our fellowship, which will be 500 kids in January of 2021. It wow. was 200 kids before um, all online. And then we have our broader community of grantees that can apply for uh, small innovation stipends and network support, which we have a whole team that supports those grantees. But we also have a whole arm, which I'm working on, to shift not only uh, the fundraising space that a lot of our staff was in before to a mindset that they need to fund local youth projects, right? Like, I don't know how many grants you guys know of that are for young people, anyways, right? And so many of these barricades, like, all you need is 400 bucks to get a 501c3 status. And then you can start working with notaries to get voter reform um, to allow voters to take their absentee ballots and, and, and vote, right? Examples like that. But, but the kids don't have that money. Yep. I know I didn't have that money before I, I was at Civics Unplugged. And so institutionally, we need to build a coalition to change this mindset around youth-led projects. And so we created, along with our fellows, this idea of Civics 2030, which is a movement to get more young people into voter reform and democracy reform and actually fund them instead of just saying, hey, guys, it's super cool to like sign up 2,000 people to vote. That's great. You did your civic duty. No, you didn't. Like We know you want to do more. We know you want $1,000 to go and change something that frustrates the hell out of you every day Mm -hmm. and we want to get you that money because we know that you have the ideas to change it because obviously no one else does yeah um and something that i'm super passionate about but yeah i don't know if that answers your question no definitely
2: definitely the information asymmetry in a variety of different contexts is what i find so troubling and i think it's also very particular for our our national politics and to some extent state politics as well where people do sit on their seats And they reap the benefits of sustaining systems of disinformation and an information asymmetry. And what troubles me so much in conversations we have like these with activists, with people who are starting nonprofits, is that it's a fight that cannot end just one day from now, right? It's a sustained fight. How do you go about this personally, managing your energy, so that you can sustain your fight over until at least 2030, which is when you're comment or at the end of the commencement of what you're working on.
0: It's tough, you know. Um, a lot of people that I know in the reform space have a lot of bad days. I have a lot of bad days. Um, it's really depressing and sad to see the state of our country right now, and I think that the way we sustain a 10 year movement. <clears throat> is by building excuse me an intergenerational coalition of people from all different backgrounds um, in all different spaces that are committed to supporting the next generation of leaders and you know it there's there's no one way to get involved and there's no one way to keep people sustained for 10 years but I know that we are building a fund a massive fund that's already um, you know put a million dollars towards, youth-led projects over the next 10 years hopefully um, going to grow a lot more than that over 2021 but i think that there is um a need to get the word out and spread awareness about how horrible things are right now and and people don't people don't really listen to it because democracy reform has never been a sexy issue Mm -hmm. but it's really at the it's upstream of every other issue in this country and for reformers like myself Mm -hmm. and everybody that i work with um, and every kid in our, in our program, and I say kid, but they're my age. (laughs) Um, uh, it's, there's a lot of bad days and there's a lot of really good days. And I think that the way to keep it up is to know that there is change and that this generation will bring the change if supported in the right way. And I think that, um, we're starting to see a shift institutionally from a lot of organizations around young people, which is really inspiring to
2: see. How do you walk the line currently between being on the founding team and being one of the directors of all this education, but also recognizing that they are your co- cohort, they are Gen Zers, just like all of us?
0: I think that I try really, really hard to not let age get in the way of a lot of things that that I do. And at Civics Unplugged, we build with everybody in our program, right? So our steering committee that mon- that manages this fund and gives the grants is, is all made up of young people. Um, the application committee for next year will all be all made up of young people. Um, our event commenced 2030, which got Dwayne Johnson to give us the six-minute spot um, when he was doing Global Citizen and only gave them a three-minute spot, shout out. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, all, all run by, by our fellows. Um, so the way I walk the line is by kind of just, taking myself out of the 17-year-old in me and really focusing on um, the work and, and how amazing my peers are. Like they, these, these people are, are smarter than I am. And my job is literally, I've devoted the next year of my life to being able to source them money and support to do the great work that they're doing.
1: Yeah. It seems like change is a very abstract term, especially now. Um, there's a lot of variables which we have to look at when we're, just as we're growing up you know we're teenagers we don't necessarily know if some changes are for the good or for the if they're for the bad or if we're actually changing at all what are some metrics or ways in which you ground yourself in knowing that you're changing for the better
0: that's a, <laughs> I mean changing for the better is an interesting term because we could we could end up in 10 years and be like holy shit whoops you so, know yeah Um, and I guess, I guess everybody else can too, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't doubt that, that we at Civics Unplugged are doing something's wrong. No one is perfect. Um, but how do we ground ourselves knowing that we're making change is how many young people come out of our fellowship, um, that go into fields, um, and even, you know, college after college careers, going to college majors that are related in change. I think a lot of, the students in our program this year, uh, we place them in internships, uh, they start their own projects, and we measure the amount of change we do by the amount of people they impact, the amount of um, voters they can enfranchise, and there's a lot of different metrics. But what I can say is that we're very proud to have you know, graduated 200 young people that have all made a 10-year pledge that are all readable on our website, 10-year pledge to the future of America, and an exact way in which they can get involved. And we plan to do 500 the next year and double that the next year and double and double and double until we have a huge number of young people making change around this country that cannot be ignored.
2: Love it. Do you think that there can be consensus on these issues? Because you, you try to stay nonpartisan in, in your teaching, but quite obviously there is a particular party The Republican Party that seems to be quite regressive in terms of these reforms. How how does that that nonpartisan aspect play in still with this? And can we depolarize?
0: Um, I don't know if we were allowed to call out people. I wasn't. I wasn't going to go for (laughs) go for shots. But if we're allowed to take shots, I can take shots now. Go Um, go for
2: it, bro. Go for it.
0: um, (laughs) So democracy reform is nonpartisan. Helping people vote should not be a partisan issue. And I say that. And you know, if I were to say. You know, it's not partisan, I would be stupid or blind. Um, yeah, yeah, no, you're 100% right. There are people um, in this country, particularly in that party, but also some people in, in, in some of the Democratic um, districts that are super against uh, voter reform and Democratic reform because it would make them lose their seat and lose their district and they would not be happy with it. Yep. Both parties gerrymander, right? Very true. Um, and I think that what we need to do as a country and to stay nonpartisan – Um, we need to take off the blinders that there are only two options. The democratic and Republican party, right. Have been our two options for a while, but think of how many people could be part of those two parties or if there were multiple parties formed. Right. And like, this is more of an opinionated stance. So not really speaking from the civics unplugged angle of things, but what we're seeing right now is the collapse of both parties. Yep. Right? Does anyone? I don't know. I'll I'll throw it back to you guys. Do you guys trust either the Democratic or Republican Party to no. you know protect your rights or to push this country forward and to make everybody's lives equal?
1: That's the biggest problem with civics right now, and just understanding what's happening in our government. If you understand what's going on, at least at a basic level, you lose trust in the systems. Mm-hmm. Which are, are that's my intended biggest to fear, though.
2: My biggest fear is that our generation loses trust in the institutions that have been built for us and that we feel like we are so depressed. But then again, it
1: could start a huge revival. Like what we saw, we talked with um, Black Lives Matter's greater New York president a few weeks ago, and she was committed to running for president in 2030-something. And so these situations and the onset of the Black Lives Matter issues that are happening right now and and all the stuff which is happening in the world has motivated her to make her uh, impression on the world. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. I think that, so you said something, you said the institutions that were built for us and I, I question that, like are there institutions that still work for the, the good of, are there legacy institutions that still work for the good of the American people or of people of the world? And there are very few that I think do. Um, and I'm not calling for us to go with pitchforks and to, you know, burn their buildings down. But I think that there needs to be a huge push um, to, instead of trying to reform these, these organizations, right? The foundation is rotted. And I think we all, we all recognize that now or we're starting to, it's starting to come to fruition that like these are not, the, the Democratic and Republican Party are not going to push us into a future where we leverage tech for human good, where we all know about data privacy and all protect our data and all empower young people and work together across diverse boundaries to build a better world. Democratic and Republican Party are not it. Right. And there are people within those parties that I think would love to do that for us. Agreed. But the establishment of both parties, not really it. Um, and man, you know, I could grow up in 30 years and say I'm running for office as a Democrat because there's no other option. And this podcast is going to come back and bite me in the ass, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, let's be real here. Um, what we need is to come together and, and just build new empowerment arms. I've, I'm so proud of National Geographic. And this is not a shout out, but I'm so proud of organizations like National Geographic for taking the first step and giving out $10,000 grants to 22 young people. Unprecedented. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of organizations that follow suit. And I think that's, that's the first step, you know, empowering young people, giving them the money to build these new institutions for us and to teach us how to work with the next generation, uh, whatever generation is after Gen Z and whatever generation is after that. Mm-hmm. Um I am scared, though, that we are going to lose so much trust in our institutions that people are just going to become apathetic. You know, and we might, we may see it with the millennial generation and some of our generation of just, like, people kind of giving up, throwing their hands up, and that makes me really sad because it's, it's a fight worth fighting for, and it's a fight that a lot of people across boundaries can come together and say, you know, it's something we need to change. Everybody should have the ability to have their voice heard, and the fact that people are, are kind of, like, Done with a fight is is disappointing
1: definitely i'm just thinking i guess this is a larger question but it seems like a lot of these larger uh, organizations that you said are like legacy organizations that have been around for a while a lot of their goals are driven by a monetary scheme they're driven by how much money can they make from uh, this new release or from this change I'm curious on your takes of what other cues can they use if monetary, um, if a monetary goal were absent to sort of adapt with the times.
0: Well, I think that there's a lot of different avenues, but one of them is, is impact, right? There's a lot of corporate social responsibility uh, branches of these huge companies that, that are not focused on making money but are focused on impact or making money through impact, I should say. But there are, there are tons of ways to make money and also make people's lives better, right? Like, I don't, I really don't know um, any organization that would be incapable of creating actual long-term social impact while hurting their revenue stream. Mm. But they just don't, it's it's too much of a heavy lift for them right now. And it's, it's a lot of corporate signaling of, like, we support this movement and we yep. support that movement and Black Lives Matter and you know, the young people are the future, and then you go, okay, how much money are you donating to, you know, black led organizations? How much money are you donating to young people? And they turn around and say $1 million of our $2 billion Mm -hmm. fund, or
1: you're like Virgil Abloh, and you donate $50.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like, thanks for thanks for the pocket change. Like, I'm glad we're beggars on the street to you, you know, um, and, and then we just get nowhere. And these companies just continue signaling and no one's has called them out on it. And I'm definitely, you know, not at all big enough to do that. And, and neither is, are most people in the civic space, right? It's, it's such a closed space. Um, so instead a plug. We're, we're trying to kind of involve a lot of these organizations and teach them um, how to empower young people. Uh, and, you know, whether it be donating to Civics 2030 Fund or showing them specific projects they could donate to. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of respect to a lot of the people working at those organizations. I think they and as they get younger, they're coming into a space where like, OK, actually time to give back and actually time to show that we support. Um, but right now it's still not happening and it's really frustrating.
2: When you go into these rooms, or when you speak to people who are, say, just older and don't really get the the case at face value, mm-hmm. what is the strategy to at least convince them to support your mission? This is a
0: this is a fun one. Um, I think that a lot of youth activists um, lose a lot of steam with, I guess, the fundraising and corporate world because they are very like. Um, I don't want to say ageist, but they're very against working with people of older generations. Um, and while I think that is totally warranted and a hundred percent, like if if that's the way you want to go about it, I understand because older generations have not been have not been helpful uh, thus far. But I think the way I handle it personally, and this is, is just a me thing, but I think that my work is more centered around how do we build alongside every generation instead of how do we, you know, like convince you to give us a million dollars. Like if it's not the money, is it your platform? Is it your thought capital? Is it your network that you can lend to young people? Um, Money is a huge thing. And I talk to so many people um, every day, young people that can't get money for their projects. But another thing is network. Another thing is sourcing internships. Another thing is, you know, having the knowledge to build an educational curriculum. And there are so many older people that are willing to give that knowledge. Um, they just don't want to be shamed into it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that the approach that I take is a lot more collaborative um, and not a lot more co- collaborative than anyone else, because I don't really know other approaches, but I just try to try to get people to collaborate and, and come from a place of understanding. Uh, and I, I guess that's, that's a privilege that I have to be able to do that because I haven't been wronged by that world. At all, um, and a lot of people have. So, I guess it just works for me. But
2: when will we know we've made it? <laughs> oh my God, man! Joey, Joey has piercings. Like this is exactly how he likes to do things. He doesn't give any. He's just like boom.
0: <laughs> yeah, let me. Let, it's Jesus. Let me get my crystal. Let me get my crystal ball out real quick for you. Um, when will we know we've made it? I want a world where everybody feels that they have the power to support each other and the power to grow as a person within a community and the power to build their own communities and to feel that they are included. I think that we have lost the sense of community in America because we are all so against each other because we all refuse to have conversations with each other. And I think that will change very soon Mm -hmm. um, because of podcasts like yours and because of great like movements across America Um, but I want to, I just want to see a world where we can all talk to each other, man. And like, it sounds very like out there, but how, how many good things can come if we just talk across boundaries? Like if the CEO of Coca-Cola sat down with three youth activists, two nonprofit leaders, um, and three small business leaders and said, okay, today we're going to focus on, you know, Arizona as a state. How do we help Arizona? Just have a conversation, share wisdom, share knowledge, be in community with other people. Um, When we can do that without any bias, prejudice, and, and roadblocks, I think we've made it or we are close to making it.
2: Love it. Love it. All right. With that all said, I think that's a perfect way to kind of end this episode, but I would love to roll the virtual red carpet out for you. Please tell the people where they can find you and all the work you're doing with Civics Unplugged.
0: Um. So uh, follow Stavis Unplugged, at Stavis Unplugged, all Instagrams and Twitter. But um, I'm going to be doing a lot of storytelling work with National Geographic Society in the coming year, um, uplifting young changemakers. So if you know of any, uh, shoot a DM to at Thanasi on Instagram, T-H-U-H-H-N-A-S-I. Um, I'm looking for every single person that has um, gotten involved in their community in one way or another. Don't care how big or how small. I just want to share their story, uplift their story, and show the power of young people. And so anyone that I could talk to, please send them my way. That's my red carpet plug.
2: Love it. Love it. All right, Tanasi. Thank you so much for being here, everyone. All of the links will be in the description of this episode. Of course, you can find all of Tanasi's work as well as our own. We will see you next week with a fantastic episode. We will see you soon. Peace. Peace. Tanasi, that was absolutely great.